Luke 3, 16. Do you have your Bibles with you? Do you believe in the Bible? Some of you? That's all right. It's a safe place. Some of you would be like, I don't know about the Bible. I don't know about that Leviticus book. That's okay. John answered them all. John the Baptist, Jesus' bud, Jesus' friend, Jesus' cousin, we're going to learn in a minute. He said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You're like, what does that have to do with my life? You ever been on a, a trip, a crowded road trip? I heard some of you share this story the other day. Like, Jesus has an analogy for our current, current state of the world. A crowded road trip. We used to go every year to Maine. We would swap houses with some friends who had a beautiful lake house up in Unity, Maine. Anybody from Unity, Maine? Someone should be at least lie about that. Just, woo! Yeah, Unity, Maine. This tiny little town. We would go up there for the lake and the beautiful woods and the country. They come down here for the ocean. My parents live kind of nearby, like right in South Kingstown area. Anybody from South Kingstown up in here? Yeah, two. Great. Anyone remember the ocean mist? No, oh, there was a lot of joy from that. Yes! Either you like reggae or you like to drink or you like both. Either way, ocean mist. Great spot. So we would go on this road trip, and it was um, uh, three boys, one girl, packed into a minivan. We had to get one of those things that sat on top of the minivan, the, the compartments that you put all the things, all your luggage in. Um, it was quite an event. Anyone come from a big family, and road trips were like a joy. Some of you, it was a joy. It's good. I learned that my wife, they would sing like Disney tunes the whole way. So she has four sisters. And they would just sing like Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid. They're like, it was the best ever. I imagine mom and dad's ears are bleeding. But I haven't done a big road trip. I have three very little girls. We haven't done the big, epic, long road trip. And I think part of the reason we haven't done it is because I am damaged by our road trips with my family. It was like 10 minutes out the gate and people are yelling at each other. It is just, it felt so crowded. And it was partially, it was just actually crowded. Four kids shoved in a very small minivan. A minivan that, by the way, had a stick shift. It's pretty special. Pretty special. And we would just cram this thing. We would try to come up with games. Like my mom would do the classic, like, alphabet game. We would play all these. I, I came up with a game because I really like streams and train tracks. So the game was just to spot streams and train tracks. Which, you know, there's a ton on I-95, just all over the place. It was, it was, we just, we struggled to keep the peace. I had this game, um, it wasn't really a game, it was more of a gross thing that I did called Ickies. So my, my sister, I don't know if it was like Cradle Cap, but she was older, so I don't think Cradle Cap goes away. Maybe it was dandruff, I don't know, but it wasn't flaky. She just had this sort of like discolored dry skin on the top of her head. So I would sit in the back and I would just kind of, I would like, oh, you got to get rid of your ickies. And I'd pick off her ickies. You want to know why I'm telling you this story, don't you? Somebody just up and left. You're just leaving, aren't you? You're just, you're just like, this is gross. <laughs> I don't know why. We, uh, it was like anything to keep us occupied. Why? Because we would fight. We would just fight. It was like right away. You took my market, that's not your market. You took my mark, I said that's my mark. I wasn't done with it. You put it down. I'm learning my kids are playing the you put it down game. 
right? It's like they want something. Last Yesterday, Harper wanted a book from Rowan. Rowan's got the book. She put it down for a second, not thinking. She's only two and a half. She puts the book down. As soon as she puts it down, Harper runs over, just like a good legalist older child does. And he runs over. Oh, you put it down. It's mine now. Anyway, we would just fight about everything. And that was the most crowded car. Put on top of it, I had a little bit of like motion sickness. I would get car sick. And so I would sit in the back because I'd want to sit in the back because that was the coolest spot because you were furthest away from mom and dad. But I also realized later on in life, that's how you get the most sick is when you sit in the back because I'm picking off gross things from my sister's head and who knows what else. Crowded, crowded, crowded. I use this stupid visual. If you've ever just been in a space where it's just like you felt claustrophobic, I feel like that's how our world is right now. It's just so crowded and all-consuming. There's just so much competing and striving. And if we're not competing and striving and comparing and there aren't tons of voices coming into your life about what's true and what's not, then you're tempted to step into it. We're crowded around ideas of accomplishment and beauty and value. We're competing and comparing. We live in this, this tight space. We have this socially compact life. You might say, Andrew, go a little further. It's the emotion that you get when you scan Instagram, when you scan Facebook. It's that emotion of like, oh my gosh, there's so much. It's that going from like something like crazy someone said in the political world to like your friend was at something that you weren't at to that person that you follow that you want to be more like and they're being super productive and then the, and then the, and then the, it goes from entertainment to serious to comparison to back again. You're supposed to keep up with things. It's just, it, it's, it's exhausting. Anyone feel like they're behind? Anyone perpetually feel like they're behind? I'm exhausted. I'm behind. I'm not enough. I can't keep up. Anyone remember the phrase keeping up with the Joneses? You ever heard that phrase? Keeping up It's kind of an old school phrase back in like 1832. Just kidding. Keeping up with the Joneses. In the olden days, it would refer literally to your next door neighbor. Like keeping up with the Joneses was like keeping up with the Smiths. There's, there was like one person in your neighborhood who you got to keep up with. It's like keeping up with the neighbor. That person in my social sphere, that person in my condo association, that person in my, in my, in my neighborhood, on my street, in my office complex, that's that one person. Imagine for a moment the luxury of just trying to compete with one cool person. How cool would that be? You only got to get a boat if that one person doesn't have a boat. You're pretty. You're, you're more beautiful than the most, like, other most beautiful person in your world, and that's all you have to compare to, so you win. That's it. Keeping up with the Joneses is that one person, that you were the best-looking person you knew. That used to be a thing. Now, it's a 7 billion person experience now there are so many joneses right you're keeping up with everybody if we if we aren't careful we find ourselves living in an incredibly crowded place or we start getting locked in these ideas of this is what beauty is this is what success is this is what awesome is another way to put it would just be like globalization like we are connected in a way we've never been before we are crowded we are more crowded i've, I've talked a lot about this the difference between our sphere of influence and our sphere of concern 
The gap is huge. What I mean by that is we want to care about a lot of things because we're being told about a lot of things. Implicitly, this isn't bad. It just means you got to curate. And when you're expected to know or when you're being fed by social media and by everything else around you, all the things that are going on, it's like everything from meme culture to, again, like what's happening like in international relations. You're being bombarded, bombarded, bombarded. And so if you want to care about something, you have so much to, be, to care about, and then we ignore our actual sphere of influence, like what we can actually do with the world. And that gap, you following me? Are you following me? That gap between your sphere of concern, I'm concerned about all this, and your sphere of influence is so wide. It's so wide. And it's causing us so much anxiety. It's causing me so much anxiety. You're behind. You don't even know why you aspire sometimes to what you aspire to. You're always, some of you, anyone feeling aged out? Anyone feeling like I am starting to get old? I'm starting to remind myself, right? Anybody like, yep. You're just like, okay, I gotta keep up. I gotta keep up with the youths. You start saying things like you're hanging out. I was hanging out yesterday with somebody who was like 23. And this 23-year-old kept saying these phrases. I'm like, I think I know what that means. That's a really weird phrase. And I kept wanting to critique him, but I know he's kind of a cool guy, so I'm the weird one. Like, I'm, I have aged out of this. I have to tell myself in the morning, I literally, like, God loves you, Andrew. Your old wrinkles are great. Yes, you're outwardly wasting away, but inwardly being made new day in and day out. You got this, Andrew. You're still loved. And then what can happen when you're in this crowded space and you're feeling all this, because none of this is probably new to many of you. We've talked about this in different arenas and different messages and different home groups and We've gotten into a lot of this stuff. But what happens is, or at least what I've noticed, is that you start to try to save yourself. Well, I can do this. I can master this. I can, like, white, ever heard the phrase white knuckle? It means, like, like your, your, your knuckles turn white when your fists are clenched. Like, I got this. I'm going to take a hold of this. And in an effort to catch up, we assume the role of Savior in our own life. Without even knowing it, some of us get a Messiah complex. I have come up with exactly the right like concoction of this reading. I do this in the morning. I do a little yoga here. I fit Jesus in a little bit here. I, like, I can figure this out and master this thing so that I am taking life by the horns. And then when you come up for air, you wonder why you've fallen into the trap that the world revolves around you. Like, I'm going to be who I want to be. I'm unique when really you're comparing yourself to everyone else and your uniqueness is actually gone. You're comparing yourself to the same kind of beauty, the same kind of success. As a result of this crowded world, we are not well. Anxiety is an epidemic. This is a new thing, folks. That's not Christian saying this. People who are studying how we roll here in Western culture are saying we have an epidemic around anxiety, fear, worry. And ultimately, this boils down to insecurity. Insecurity. Just, just to be really clear, insecurity is the opposite of what? Security. We do not feel secure. You're like, Andrew, that's really obvious. Thanks for pointing that out. Pastors say things with like intense pastor voice. They sound deeper than they really are. 
No, 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 I say that because I actually want to stop. We're like, yeah, sure, some people are insecure. Sure, we've all got places where we're insecure, no big deal. Insecure. No, no, imagine the opposite. You are totally secure in who you are. Imagine the opposite. I am secure. I'm grounded. I'm rooted. I know who I am. We're going to sing at the end of this uh, sermon. That I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear, to anxiety, but I know who I am. See, your, is your identity secure? Is your identity secure? Is your identity secure? Anyone else becoming less confident? Anyone else becoming less confident? As followers, I don't know why, I was more confident at 21 than I am now. And as followers of Jesus, it should be the opposite. Again, outwardly I'm fading out, but inwardly I'm going more, more sane more composed, more at peace. I think it manifests sometimes in like the clothes I wear. I had a moment the other day, I think I told you some of this story. I walked into Urban Outfitters, I was looking around and I got totally swindled by this like, this, this person, this person who's doing retail and they just looked at me and they were just like, I was asking them like, could I rock this? Could I pull this off? I was like, and they're like, oh yeah, totally. And they're just trying to sell me. I'm like, I got, I got three kids. I'm, I'm pushing, I'm, I'm pushing into those late thirties. And they're like, yeah, you totally can do it. And they gave me that look like, right? Like it even manifests in silly ways. Like try to keep up, try to keep up, try to keep up. As followers of Jesus, like I want to be one of those calm old saints. I'm good. I know who I am. I'm getting closer to glory. I'm good. Right? We're becoming less confident. I feel more behind. And you're like, I should be married by now. Oh, I mean, I should be married by now. Anyone like, I should not be married right now. It's real. Oh, man, I, would, I wish I would have not gotten married so early so I could pursue this. Like, we need to talk about this stuff. I'm just, like, bombarding you with things because, like, I, I want to, like, get the feel of the car on the journey, traveling to the destination, and it's crowded. It's crowded. It's crowded. And the thing about this particular crowding that I'm describing is that we all start looking the same. In the name of, I want to be unique like that person, beautiful like that person, interesting like that person, we're becoming like that person and we're all moving closer together. There's a reason I could find like a cool hip hipster coffee shop in every major metropolitan city in the world and they all look the same. They all got antlers. They all got a particular kind of like red, like wallpaper. They all got Edison bulbs. Like, for real? We all just tapped into the same style? Like everything's becoming the same. The unique stuff is all the same unique stuff. This brings us to our text. When we're crowding around the same definition of giftedness, when we're crowding around the same definition of success, when we're crowding around the same definition of beauty, man, we all start looking the same. We look like cheap copies. Luke 3, 16, the people were waiting expectantly And we're all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Sorry, verse 15. People are looking around. John has been commissioned. John the Baptist, if you knew the Bible, he's preparing the way for Jesus. He's getting this tribe who is called to be a blessing to the world, who find themselves in exile because they've kind of jacked up a bunch of things about who they're called, about their calling. And they have been longing and crying out for the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who's going to put it all back together, who's going to make things new, who's going to forgive their sins and set things on a course. That's what we believe we're living in on the other side of Jesus. 
And they're, they're, they're desiring this. They're looking for this. And John is doing incredible miracles. John is a rock star. And people are starting to ask, is John the Baptist the Messiah? Now, a lot of people at this time are claiming they're the Messiah, claiming they're the Son of God, claiming they're the one that's says to come. And John has an opportunity here to boost his own ego. John has an opportunity to lean in a little bit to that. It's like, well, I'm not saying I'm not. John is being asked, are you the Messiah as he is preparing the way for the Lord. There's a lot more there that we don't have time to get into. The most incredible person was gonna be the Messiah. And he doesn't even entertain the idea. He is content with who he is. We get no indication that he wished he was Jesus. Turn back a couple pages to John 1. That was me turning pages. That's to turn it, so that's your Bible out and you turn it with your right hand. Try it. You got your Bible out? We'll go back to John 1, 3 to 5. Ready? Check this out. You go like this. You don't care. John 1, 35. John 1, 35. I'm sorry, I'm messing you all up. John 1, 35. The next day, John was there again with his two disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So two of John's followers, two of John's apprentices, see Jesus, follow him instead. It's like, we've been hanging out with John, but Jesus goes by, and you give that like side eye, like when someone good looking goes by, you're like, mm. and they, they turn and follow. You with me? It's exactly how it happened. Some of y'all are like, that's heretical. They see Jesus go by and they go, I think I want to be with him. He seems to have it more together, whatever it is. Going on in verse 22, chapter 3. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing as Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one that you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. Everybody's going. That was our game and now we're doubling up. That was our game and now... He's doing the same thing we're doing, and people are all going to him. We used to be the game in town. To this, John replied, a person, hear these words. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I told you, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. Everybody's going to him. John's disciples abandoned him, a few of them. Then everyone starts abandoning him. You think John would get torn up about this. Instead, we read, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Are we able to celebrate when others are more successful than we are? Paul says, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Most of us don't have all of all the gifts. Some people see other people doing better than you. Right? These social media feeds, this crowdedness just pours gas on the fire of our insecurity. 
And so often we start with unrealistic expectations of who we are and how long it will take to get there. Then we take the 0.01% of people who are successful at an early age and we curate an image of ourselves that is not based in reality. You put that all together and we get robbed by comparison. Get robbed by comparison. I don't know about my job. I don't know about my fashion. I don't know about my body. This is the story. I'm not good enough. My life's not good enough. So instead of feeling gratitude for our life, instead of feeling joy for what we've been given, we get stuck with entitlement. Anyone feel stuck feeling a bit entitled? Or we get stuck in jealousy? Anyone get mad at people and you get mad at them only because you wish you were them? Be honest. You get a little ticked at them. You get a little annoyed at how they are. It's because they don't, yeah, you know. You get stuck in sadness. We all fall into this. The more you get, the more you want. But John, John's able to celebrate. I think in part because he knew three things. He knew three things, if you're taking notes. He knew three things. He knew his identity. He says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. He knew who he wasn't. His vision was rooted in scripture. So often we don't live out who we are. We spin our wheels trying to be someone we're not. This is, he's referencing back to something that has clearly been spoken over his life or something he's understood from the scriptures before. This is who I am. This is who I am. Uh, Rabbi, I've said this quote before, but I love it. Rabbi Zusa says, in the age to come, in heaven, they will not ask me why I was not Moses. You can say, they will not ask you why you were not Justin Bieber. They will not ask you why you are not the leading scientist in your field. They will not ask you why you are not super mom with the mega blog. They will not ask you why you are not that person who is getting, who is climbing the, the ladder further than, faster than you are. They will not ask you why you are not Bono. They will ask you why, he says, Rabbi Zusa says, they will ask me why I was not Zusa. Rabbi says, in heaven, they will not ask me why I was not Moses. They will ask me why I was not me. They will be asked why I wasn't more like who I was called to be. John knew his identity. He knew who he was. He knew his calling. Number two, he knew his calling. He says, prepare the way for Yahweh was his job. He was to prepare the way. He was very clear on what he was called to be about. Remember, we are, what we are called to do isn't always what we want to do. But we have a calling on our life. There's a story we're to fit into. And, and John, lastly, he knew his limitations. He says, a person can receive only what was given them from heaven. I was raised in a culture where you were told you can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. Anyone realize that's not true? You can be anything you want to be. Mm, kind of. Maybe. Stay with me. I'm gonna, this sermon's going to get more positive. Some of you are like, I feel a bit beat down right now. There's a dangerous idea because this is not true. I can do everything. I wasn't made to do everything. It took me a long time to figure out like, oh, I'm, I'm somebody who's supposed to lead folks. I, I've, I'm never going to be a savant. I'm not really good at, I'm like, I'm okay at guitar. I'm okay at singing. I'm okay at design. I'm okay at preaching. I'm okay at like coaching people. I'm okay at doing... I realized, like, oh, I'm just okay, so I can speak the language of a lot of different people, and so maybe I'm called to help lead folks because I can, like, dial in a bit to people's different worlds. Not even good at that, but you get the point. 
right? Like what, 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 what were my limitations realizing I can't pour myself into certain things that I wasn't gifted in? There are some things that we are just not wired to do. And John, hear this. John just seems okay with all of this. John seems content. He seems actually passionate if we were to take time and go through the whole life of John about what God's given him to do with his life. Passionate to the extent that he goes and gets himself killed and his head cut off for his allegiance to Jesus and for him knowing his role. He has a moment to step into the limelight here and he is like, I am so not the savior. There is a savior and it's my cousin. I love this part of the story. History tells us that he rolled with his cousin. Anyone think ever about the possibility of worshiping one of your family members? No matter how nice they are, it's not going to happen. He lays down his life. You ate cake with Jesus. You were there. I was thinking about Mary, like changing the son of God's diapers. And she still finds himself herself worshiping. She believes. John the Baptist is refreshing. He knows who he is. He's able to lift his brothers up. I got brothers, so it's like the sibling rivalry thing is real. Even as adults where no one names it, it's just always there right below the surface. But think about that sibling you kind of have a tenuous relationship with, and they're in the same field as you are, and imagine them taking off, exploding, and like winning in every department. How you doing with that? How you doing with that? I'm fine. I'd be fine. I'd be fine. Shut John's unique. John knows where he's at. John's refreshing. Even John's wardrobe. We're told in Matthew 3, 4, he's like eating locusts and wild honey, and he's got a leather belt and camel hair on his back. Like, the dude is unique. It's like, I don't care. I, mean, I don't know much about wardrobe and fashion at that time, but I think the reason why they tell us that is to tell us, like, he was different. It's like, guys, what's up? You don't like, you don't like my camel hair? No, no, skinny jeans are in now, John. Nah, I'm going to stick with my camel hair. I don't know. We have to be careful. We have to be careful how we characterize in our world who is successful and who is not. Hear this. This is this place, again, where he's asked, are you the one? And he says, I am not the Messiah. Too many of us want to be the Messiah. Too many of us have been sold from the seven billion Joneses from the crowded room what success is supposed to look like. I want to play sports, follow sports. Ever heard the phrase role players? Anyone know what a role player is? Role player uh, is just someone who just plays their role. Now, <clears throat> LeBron James never gets called. Michael Jordan was never called. Tom Brady was never called a role player. But really they are. Their role is to simply to lead. The idea of role player usually gets put into you know your spot in the squad. And if you don't do your thing in the squad, then the team won't win. You know where you're at. You know who is excited. Church, sanctuary. Do you know who is excited about the role that you've been given in this world? Anybody got an idea? It's that Sunday school answer. God! God's excited about the role that he gave you, about the gifts that he gave you. 
In fact, even those of us who've been born into brokenness or had things done to us or we've made mistakes that we feel have jacked up our vision, our personality, our call, God even says, hey, if you love me and you're in the the family here, I'll redeem even that. I love your role. Even when you jack up your role, figure out another role. I got you. So basic. But I honestly think one of the most important things we need to hear in our world right now, if we're not careful, we will think there is only one kind of role that should be celebrated. And I could be honest about the pastors do this. If I were at a pastor's conference, I would like lay heavy right now on the leaders in the room. We call people to a Messiah complex accidentally all the time. You can be everything. You used to do this, but now you can do this. Praise Jesus. Maybe you were found yourself in this lowly situation and job, but you might have this one day. Mm. So I always feel like some people are like, I like my job. I actually like where I am. Actually, I'm content with where I'm supposed to be. You were called to lead ministries. That, no, maybe you're actually, you're a supporting role. And we need you there. And if you're not there, the thing won't work. We actually need you where you're called to be. John doesn't seem crowded. He's an original. He's a breath of fresh air. Why? Why? Here's where I want to land the sermon. Why? Back to Luke 3.16. Why is he original? original? Why does he seem so content? I think we find it in a funny little detail here. I baptize you with water. My job is water. I can't change people's hearts. I'm setting the stage. But one who is more powerful than I will come. He's talking about Jesus. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I think we get a little window into how John sees himself and a little window into how John sees Jesus. Background. You ready? It's my last point. Masters would have servants. There was a practice that the servant would greet the master when the master came home. And the servant would take the master's sandals off of his feet. It's been rough. It's been a hard day. Open-toed sandals. There's no paved roads. No wood chips. No, like, nice landscaping, really, unless you're in the city. I don't think there's any wood chips. They would take them off. They'd be dirty. But if you were a Jewish servant, and that's John's crowd here, there was a, there, there was, um, you were not required to do this. It was beneath them. The Jewish master, if you were a Jewish master, you would actually agree. So even though you work for me, if this would be your job, if it was a Jewish servant, they would say, go get a Gentile servant to do it. Because that unbuckling of the strap and taking off the sandals, that kind of gross at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the bottom act was below even them. Why would John say this? I'm not worthy to do the one act of service that none of y'all would do. What's he trying to do here? He's trying to explain how valuable Jesus is. That one act to serve is beneath his audience. 
He's like, man, it would be my great, greater honor to do for him, but I can't because I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy to do the lowest of lowest things. Thomas Aquinas says this about this section of scripture. You must not suppose that he, John, ranks ahead of me in dignity in the way that one man is placed ahead of another. Rather, he is ranked so far above me that I am nothing in comparison to him. John says, when everyone's going after Jesus, they go, John, look at everyone going after Jesus. He goes, look, I must decrease he must increase. Jesus is the main event. All glory to him. We used to be the big deal, John. He's like, no, it's not about me. It's always been about him. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the center. It's about him. And frankly, he's so valuable. And my Lord above all, that the, the, the most, the, the most like, small and menial and servant and low of task, I'm not even worthy of that. He knows who he is and he knows who Jesus is. Why would a man be so himself? Why would John the Baptist be so rooted and grounded? Why is he a breath of fresh air? Why do I bet that every single person in here who's been remotely paying attention for the last 30 minutes is going, If I could be that grounded and that rooted and that at peace. Like, like, <laughs> because Jesus saw, or John saw Jesus not as a mantra or a lifestyle add-on or a principle or a religious venue or an institution. He saw Jesus as the meaning of life. He saw Jesus as the king. He saw Jesus as Savior. Honestly, the only power to break up the crowded car in 2019 is you've got to begin to see God for who he really is. You will see everything else so differently if you do that. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about Jesus. Jesus doesn't owe me anything. John is the opposite of entitled. I'm so happy just to serve in my place. Where I am right now, I am grateful. What happened to whatever your hands find to do, do for the glory of God. Whatever your hands find to do, do for the glory of God. So I think in all of this, our generation loves to talk about uniqueness. I think this is why we've lost originality. It's because we're all trying to be the same awesome, interesting person. We're all trying to lead in exactly the same way. We all don't even know how to express our fashion different. I joke, and I love you, RISD students. I love you so much. But I walk around RISD, and you're all unique, but you're all unique in exactly the same way. I can point to the same guidebook y'all are looking at. Now, there's nothing against fashion. It's fine to look fashion. I love fashion. I got really angry about that. I didn't mean that. But my point is this. Be you. Do you. A fashion is not that you want to demarcate yourself via fashion. Great. Camel's hair, leather belt. It's a good look. I'm telling you it's going to come down runways next month. But what I'm saying is that it's funny how our desire and crowded space in comparison lead us to boringness, to a life that isn't us leaning into who we're called to be because we're constantly got our eye on everybody else. Our identity can become secure. 
when I know who I am, I know what I'm called to do, and I can celebrate their success, and I can cheer them on, and I can honor them, and I can bless them. Why? Because I'm not the Messiah. Why? Because I'm not them. Because I'm not that celebrity. Because I'm not that artist. Because I don't have those gifts. I am who I am, and I need to focus my attention on who God made me to be. We lose sight of our originality and who we're called to be. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's who God says you are, not me. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, chosen, not forsaken. John is just happy to be on the team, happy to be in the room. I can't believe that Jesus saved me. So I want to end with this. This is where this crowded little thing came from. Colossians 1. Don't turn there. This is in a, a, a transliteration called The Message, which I don't read from often, but I loved how Eugene Peterson put this. You with me still? Okay. Colossians 1, the writer Paul says this, we look at this son and we see God. So we look at Jesus and we see God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank, Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there right before any of it came into existence. And he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it all together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything and everyone. Here, here it is. So spacious is he. We got a spacious Jesus. So roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. That's good, right? Give God some thanks for that. Everyone wants to be an original. The only way is to find yourself in the room with this spacious God where everyone can find their place. We are not going to be a church. We're not gonna be a community that falls praise to philosophies that aren't from God. Look, you're not supposed to be who everyone else calls you to be. You're supposed to be who God calls you to be. And your job is not to compete and compare or be the best even, but to keep your eyes on Jesus, to be free from comparing and free from competing. What if you're right where God wants you to be? I don't know that. But what if you are right where God wants you to be? My hope is just that you sleep better tonight, honestly. My hope is that you sleep a little bit better tonight. I know that putting this talk together, I, I'm gonna, I have slept better the last couple nights because I've had some stuff I've had to work through. Some stuff I've had to push through and acknowledge in my own heart. Andrew, this is who you are. This is who I've called you to be. Stop being insecure, you're getting your eyes off me. Stop being anxious, you're getting your eyes off me. Stop being overcome by fear. You're getting your eyes off me. Your 
just here to serve. You're just here to bless. You will find your fullness. You will find originality. You will find love and freedom and joy and rest when you get your eyes on me. So let's pray. Jesus, as we take this moment to close together, I pray as we sing this, this chorus, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. As we sing, Lord, you split the sea so I can walk right through it. My fears are drowned in your perfect love. You rescued me so I can stand and sing. You have have brought me into your family, made us your daughters and your sons, crowned us with glory, called us co-heirs with you, like given us such a powerful identity. Lord, I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would move in us in this moment, that as we worship you, Lord, as we magnify your name, you would find We would find healing and wholeness. In Jesus' name, everybody stood. In Jesus' name, everybody stood. Let's sing together.